0: Birthday, the Greg Cody Show podcast. Happy Happy birthday birthday to you. you. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Birthday birthday. in it. That kind of thing. Ah.
1: This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. All right,
0: thank you, kids. Um, I'm so glad we spent a little of our um, podcast budget to to rent that children's choir to help us celebrate our first pod anniversary. And um, because uh, imagine that, Christopher, we've been doing this a whole year. How about that? The
2: choir, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, um, it's uh, this is actually worth celebrating. I usually give you crap and don't want. <laughs> You to celebrate anything because you like to celebrate everything, right? But this is like you know it's our birthday. We genuinely, it's it's been a year. I've enjoyed doing this with you. Uh, I'm a little, I'm kind of getting the feels a little bit. I don't think I'm going to be mean to you today. Maybe that's wow. going to be today's theme. Man, It'll be that... nice to you on on our first birthday.
0: Okay, I'm glad we literally have that on tape. Uh, What's the Mount
2: Gregmore topic?
0: Uh, well, oddly enough, the Mount Gregmore topic is. Related to our first birthday. Um, of course, more about us. Yes, our, our first very first podcast, the historic first podcast ever, actually was on March 2nd of 2020. So what would that be? Like Tuesday, I think, is our actual birthday. So uh, our Mount Gregmore is going to celebrate uh, famous events or birthdays on March 2nd. So uh, that's, that's going to be I'm, special.
2: I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: There you go. And um, <clears throat> podcast family... Your, the, oh,
2: you just did... I know, see, the audience doesn't even hear it. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not supposed to be mean to you. Never mind. Okay, Let's what did I do? Going. No, no, what, tell me what I did. It's our birthday. You just did that thing where you swallow and well, you can hear it on the on, mic. let me
0: mute myself a second. All right, I just need to clear my throat. Um, even
2: that, you made a noise there. Anyways, I, I love you. <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday, podcast. Yeah,
0: see, you're incapable. You are physically incapable you of being nice to me. You infuriate me. At any rate, welcome to the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody and infuriated Chris Cody and uh it's our first birthday and uh we're going to have a ball today and and we, listen we actually have a great show we have on um a grow a local south florida uh medical legend orthopedic trauma surgeon daniel p chan to speak about he's an expert on injuries such as tiger woods suffered he's treated them surgically himself and he gives us some very interesting stuff we
2: learned some stuff in this interview i was a little skeptical of this as like an interview like we people can read this stuff why are we and i you this was a good call by you it was your idea this interview and you i learned a ton if you're interested in this tiger Woods story it's a good interview a good interview
0: yep because he talks about the extent of the injuries and the long road ahead uh in tiger's recovery really fascinating stuff and and if if that's not enough uh we also have in um old friend mike tannenbaum the uh, NFL ESPN analyst, his old friend, huh? Eh, well, you know, in, in the in, it's not his first time on the podcast, so he's a friend of the podcast, and that enables me to call him an old friend, even though we never socialize and barely speak at all. But in addition to being an, an ESPN analyst, Mike uh, is is well suited to talk about what we're talking about because, as most of you know, he's been a former front office executive for the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins, who were two of the, the maybe three teams that have a shot to perhaps trade for Deshaun Watson. And we talked to him about uh, the whole Tua versus Deshaun uh, dilemma down here in Miami. And,
2: and just so you know, as long as my dad's setup was for what we're doing during that interview, his questions are just as long-winded. You really need to tighten it up, man. I know. You know what? I'm I'm flipping it. I'm going to be extra mean to you this. this yeah. Thursday.
0: See, you 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 um, would you last about two minutes with your promise? I mean,
2: we are about three minutes into this podcast, and it's just you setting up two interviews. Right. So let's go, man. Let's get to the content. They're fantastic that we're going interviews. With. Let's get to the content of what we're creating instead of talking five minutes about the things we're going to talk about later <laughs> right. in the podcast. That's
0: fair comment. That's fair comment. But before we get to our double duo. Our Christ, uh, dynamic duo to, of guests. Are you,
2: about to, are you about to set up Mount Gregmore again?
0: <laughs> no. I'm about to um, uh, first discuss the big news of the week. And, and I have to hit this because it, it's what everybody's talking about. It's the future of Mr. Potato Head. Now, <laughs> yes. I mean, this is... Uh, I, let me just read a paragraph from a news story here. Hasbro created confusion Thursday when it announced that it would drop the mister from the brand's name in order to be more inclusive and so all could feel welcome in the potato head world. It also said it would sell a new playset this fall without the Mr. and Mrs. designations that will let kids create their own type of potato families, including two moms or two dads. But controversy has uh, raged ever since then because now they're, they're like backtracking. Uh, they're saying that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. aren't going anywhere, that they'll remain Mr. and Mrs. So in the potato head world, uh, this is probably the biggest news since the toy was founded in 1952. Uh, what are your thoughts on this raging controversy?
2: I mean, I like a baked potato with <laughs> sour cream and butter. I mean, has anyone seen? I mean, have these people not seen Toy Story? There's a Mister and Mrs. Potato Head. Like, I don't understand yep. why this is a thing at all. And I love when companies make these big claims and then get backlash for it, and like, are so quick. To just change and like give in, right? And, and and I don't like cheese on my baked potato. I know that's a shocker to most people. If you look at me, right? But I genuinely just like butter and sour cream. Like that's it.
0: I I have to tell you, uh, I'm old enough where I actually played with Mister Potato Head as a kid. Uh, I was uh, I actually enjoyed that toy for a couple of years believe it or not but
2: my daughter has one i thought that's the whole idea of mr and mrs potato is the potato is a blank slate and it can be whatever you want it to be that's right it it was it's ahead of its time this toy you could have had mr potato head with a dress on in like 1992 before it was popular right i'm just saying like it's a very it's, it's it's a progressive toy why are you changing it
0: exactly that's a good point by you i also love the irony that um the, the toy company that's getting all socially and politically correct with this uh, ends with the word bro, Hasbro. Um, and, and one other uh, thing I would note is that the Mr. Potato Head has 13 pieces in it. The Mrs. Potato Head only has 12. Now, that's outright sexism. Uh, that's close to misogyny. Because if, if you can't give Mrs. an equal number of pieces as Mr., uh, w- what, are you, what are you doing, Hasbro?
2: How do you like your baked potato?
0: I like my baked potato not loaded. Uh, I'll have a little, uh, I like a lot of butter, I have to say that. But in terms of other toppings, I like some chives, chopped, fine chopped chives, uh-huh. and some bacon bits, believe it or not. You couldn't pay me to have sour cream or cheese on, on a baked potato. That's desecration. If I take over as commissioner of sour cream, the first thing I do is change the name because really you don't want the word sour um, bugling your product. You really don't.
2: I could take a bath in sour cream. <laughs> Could you? And,
0: and you'd come out smelling like uh, a
2: sour uh, crisp
0: instead of a sour cream.
2: I love all the white creams. I love mayonnaise, sour cream, cream cheese. Um,
0: I'm trying to think if there's any more out there. I do like mayo with turkey. I'm going to say that. It's a beautiful combination.
2: I even love cottage cheese. I know that's Ugh. not really
0: in the category of what we're talking about, but it's white. So I'm just. Thinking. Yeah. That's lumpy though. Your mother loves cottage cheese and it just looks awful to me. I'm trying to think I can't of stand other it.
2: white substances that No, my delicious.
0: white my favorite white substance is is blue cheese with the big blue cheese chunks. Ugh, oh, no, my God. it's, it's so fantastic.
2: I spit that out every time. No,
0: it it's not bland like a ranch. You know, it's actually got some flavor to it. Let's move on for a second but before we get to our dynamic duo of guests, baby, I want to say a couple of other things real quick. Uh, NASCAR is uh was down at homestead for its annual race down here and i wrote a column on this i'm not a big nascar fan plugging it right i'm not a big huge nascar fan or expert but what's happening right now in the sport really interests me um you know nascar shed some of its deep south redneck roots uh, last summer by banning the confederate flag from its tracks and that seems to have breathed i know that was controversial with a lot of race fans but It's breathed new life in. And since then, we've seen a couple of things happen. Michael Jordan is now a prominent race owner in NASCAR, teamed with Denny Hamlin, a very successful driver. Uh, And their driver on their new team is Bubba Wallace, the the only black driver and the one who who, uh, led this fight to ban the Confederate flag. Pitbull, Miami's own Mr. 305, Mr. Worldwide. Pitbull is now a NASCAR owner. Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints, is really on board with the sport now talking it up whenever he can uh so you see nascar opening up becoming more diverse and and i just think it's a great thing i think it's going to really broaden the audience
2: i mean i was listening to everything you were saying there and thinking to myself that's i'm glad that the sport is progressing but i really couldn't think of anything that i care less about than nascar just in general like it's nothing against (laughs) this i just don't right but at the very end, there you actually did something that I was like, "Well, I actually I would, I could see myself getting more interested in it if all of a sudden Charles Barkley had a car yes. that I could like tune in to watch, or Alvin Kamara. Like if people that I was interested in from other sports came to that sport as, on the ownership side, like that actually might get me interested." So right,
0: well, here's another thing about NASCAR, and then we'll we'll move on. Um, they've been decimated by uh, superstar retirements just in the last few years. Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Danica Patrick, they've lost a lot of star power. And so there's a new wave coming in, led by Chase Elliott, I would say, who at age 24 last year won the the NASCAR Cup Series Championship. So there's a new wave coming in along with this uh, diversity. It's just a fresh air feel for me uh, to NASCAR, and I congratulate the sport for doing that. Uh, One other thing before we move on.
2: Which sport do you think that you fake – cover more and and don't take that as an insult right i don't mean that i mean that because like you're like football you're like an expert on but like there's a lot of sports that you cover you know you're basically always covering it but you're not like doing deep dives on it like tennis is something you don't cover a ton but you write right about it like which of those perimeter sports do you actually know the best because you sound like you know what you're talking about right now with nascar well i feel like you might be faking it
0: no i mean as a professional and and this will happen like if I'm covering horse racing, for example. I don't know anything about horse racing. So what do I do? I'm going to call up my friend Clark Spencer, who, who is a former Herald colleague, good friend of mine, owns a horse. And I'm going to say, hey, Clark, which end of the horse goes first? I can't remember. But whatever I write in print is going to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Why? Because I've done my research. And it would be the same with NASCAR. It would be the same with a sport like Tennis, uh, golf, I know a little bit more because I play golf, albeit badly, as you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, once every four years the I, I, the Olympics the, come along, I mean...
2: As one of the few people that gets the privilege of seeing said golf game, it's funny that you're referencing stuff that you do out there as some sort of, like, you know, credential for... Uh, <laughs> that chipping that I see out of the sand is what makes you an expert <laughs> on golf more so than other sports that you
0: cover. Right. <laughs> well... <laughs> It, it, at least I play golf, and and so just the fact that I play golf it gives me the ability to actually know that, for example, uh, Tiger Woods having a lower leg injury that involves the ankle is sort of a bad injury for a golfer to have in particular. We should probably get to
2: that actually. Let's 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 have an episode that seems like it knows what it wants to be. Okay. And the conversation just took us to Tiger Woods. So let's get to this doctor.
0: Yes, let's get right to it. Uh we're pleased to share this conversation with um Dr. Daniel B. Chan. He's the chief of orthopedic surgery and sports medicine and the medical director of orthopedic trauma for Memorial Healthcare System.
2: Real slacker.
0: Yeah, right. This guy's a a wonderkind. Uh and Dr, I wonder if you could just give us an expert's view of the type of injuries and the severity of them that Tiger suffered.
3: Sure so he had a number of significant injuries i will classify this injury that he sustained as a potentially limb threatening injury that we that we would see in our trauma center here in hollywood wow Uh, based on the reports that we've heard that have been made public it looks like he has a multi-fragmentary or a common fracture of his tibia his shin bone and he also had numerous fractures to his uh, ankle and foot area The shin bone fracture, the tibia fracture was stabilized by placing the titanium rod inside the bone to stabilize it. And he also had plates and screws for the smaller fractures around his foot and ankle bones. One of the important aspects of his injury, apart from the fractures is that when we look at fractures, it's not just a broken bone, it's a broken bone with a significant soft tissue injury involving the skin, the muscle, the connective tissue and in crush injuries like he sustained, there is significant muscle damage, muscle swelling. And the muscle swelling was significant enough that his surgical team decide to perform what's called a fasciotomy, where they basically zip open the entire leg, top to bottom, basically unroofing all of the muscle to allow it to expand so that the swelling doesn't cause cutting off of blood supply to the foot and it can minimize the ongoing nerve and muscle damage, which can be permanent. Wow. These are injuries. Uh, I've said it to other colleagues in the past that eat any one of those injuries that he sustained would have been already a significant injury and potentially limb threatening or, or uh, associated with a prolonged recovery. But when you have all of those things on one leg, it really is a significant injury. Is it is it typically a car accident that causes this? Yes. I, I think we've heard in the media that this is a what we call a high energy mechanism. So uh, we typically see those here in the trauma center, either from car accidents, uh, motorcycle accidents, or unfortunately pedestrians being hit by cars or a fall from a height like a construction or a work accident, very high energy type uh, injuries.
0: I saw the um, the car wreckage in, in that gully uh, and, and I read details of, of what the crash involved, the uh, careening several hundred feet, flipping the car, flipping
3: multiple times it seemed to me that Tiger Woods is pretty lucky to be alive. He absolutely is. And I think in, in large part because of modern uh, automotive technology, we've gotten really good with airbags. So those are designed to protect the head, obviously, and the torso from any kind of impact. But when you look at his his car, the entire front end was collapsed and caved in. And so while people are surviving these high-energy crashes more and more, Um, People are also getting significant leg lower extremity trauma, and that's what we're seeing routinely with these car accidents. People survive, and that's great, but they do have significant musculoskeletal injuries as a result. With a traumatic
0: uh, leg injury such as this, what lies ahead for him in terms of further surgeries, uh, rehabilitation? What kind of a time frame do you think we're looking at for
3: him to recover? So he has certainly, from what it sounds like, at least one more surgery in the future. So the incision to release the pressure on the muscle, that incision or that wound is left open to allow the muscle swelling to to evolve. And over time, as that swelling gets less and less, it'll be time to close that uh, surgical incision or that wound, either with stitches, or in some cases, if that is too swollen long-term, he may even need a skin graft cover that muscle. Hmm. Uh, So assuming all the surgery is done, all the bony injuries are reconstructed, he's still going to need at least probably 12 weeks, six to 12 weeks minimum of what we call non-weight bearing, where he's not permitted to step on that leg. Uh, So he'll be using crutches or a wheelchair, um, getting physical therapy. And even after that period has ended, he literally has to learn how to walk again. His leg will be weak. The joints will be stiff. And he'll need to, over the next several months after those three months, get stronger. Uh, And then that's not even talking about playing sport. That's just talking about walking regularly or as normally as possible. I think uh, if this is going to be at least a year of his life of uh, hard uh, work, uh, physical therapy, um, and that's assuming that he doesn't develop any complications such as an infection or a blood clot or the bone knot healing or significant ankle stiffness or something like that would even prolong the recovery even further. Is this the type of, uh,
0: the types of injuries from which you can recover 100%? Is there going to be a time when he's going to forget he ever had these injuries? Or is this the kind of thing where even a a complete recovery might be 90%
3: type thing? I think it, it really has to do with the severity of the ankle injury. I think the tibia injury, the shin bone injury that can heal pretty reliably. But if he has significant damage to the joints of his ankle and his midfoot, um, you know, he he's going to be at very high risk for developing what we call post-traumatic arthritis. Uh, and, and that would be pretty debilitating. So I think uh, and also that the fact that these were what we would call open injuries, you hear it in, in the media as, as compound fracture. Um, In in orthopedic terminology, we call it an open fracture where the injury was so severe that that the bone broke through the skin. Uh, And that adds another layer of trauma that needs to heal. Uh, So I I think 100% would be exceedingly difficult and and rare, even in the best of circumstances. Uh, Whether or not uh, he can function as a pro golfer at 90, 95%, I think only time time will tell
0: can you think of other examples um <clears throat> either just from what you've heard or from what you've dealt with personally of other athletes who have gone through this particular type of injury maybe not exact
3: but but roughly this type of injury yeah. so i think that the shin bone injury I, I think you know if you had to find a corollary would be like the alex smith example mm. um but i don't think there's anybody who has sustained this exact combination of severe injuries in one leg at the same time along with the crush injury that required a decompression of the muscle so i think this is this is a first certainly in the sports world uh, we we've seen it in varying combinations in i guess lay, laypersons in our in our uh, trauma practice alex smith's
0: uh, leg injury i've been hearing for the past couple of years that 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 was just described as catastrophic as possibly costing his in his limb, possibly even being life-threatening. Um, is Tiger Woods injuries of that
3: severity? So I think the, there exists the potential for a uh, period of his injuries to manifest in a way that could be potentially limb or potentially life-threatening. So with all those open wounds uh, and the trauma to the soft tissues and the muscles Uh, If there's dead muscle or damaged muscle, that can be, uh, and then exposed bone that was exposed from the accident, that can be a breeding ground for an infection. And an uncontrolled bone infection uh, could be um, uh, limb threatening. And then if that were to get into his bloodstream and cause sepsis, then it could be life-threatening. Obviously he's under the best possible medical care to hopefully mitigate those uh, complications. But I I think in, in, in some respects, uh, when you add everything up, a Tiger's injury is probably more severe than, at least as severe, if not more severe than Alex Smith's. When, when you have someone uh, brought into your trauma center with his
0: type of injuries, um, what is the scene there? Like how many, what is the immediacy, the, the emergency situation? How many people are around his table treating him? Like just paint a picture for me of what it's sure. like to have somebody like brought in with those type of, of injuries. Course.
3: I think the term that's been described uh, or that's been used before is kind of like organized chaos. And so there's a lot of traffic, uh, a lot of, so there's the trauma surgeon, there's the nurses there's the ER physician, respiratory therapist, x-ray tech, people drawing blood. Um, but it's it, it may seem like a lot of traffic and a lot of chaos, but this is very well orchestrated. It, uh, there's, a, there's protocols uh, to uh, resuscitate trauma patients, it's the ABCs airway, breathing circulation, making sure there's no immediate life-threatening injury that needs to be addressed. Once that's ruled out, then you can start looking at other things like uh, a bony injury. So for something like this, um, you know, once they made sure that Tiger did not have a bad head injury or was having internal bleeding into his chest or his belly or anything like that, once that was ruled out, then you can divert uh, the majority of your attention to taking care of the leg injury. And it's obvious that this An open fracture or a compound fracture as as described in the lay press and that needs to be cleaned out addressed the leg needs to be splinted and then once everything is uh, made sure that there's no other severe injuries then it's off to the operating room as soon as possible Uh, because the longer the wound is exposed without being cleaned out formally in a surgical environment potentially there could be a higher risk for infection so you want and you also want to stabilize the fracture so it's not all these bony fragments jostling around and causing further muscle damage so you want to stabilize the leg and then obviously if there's the crush injury component too uh if there is that increased pressure cutting off circulation every minute counts so at about between 4 and 6 hours you're going to have irreversible muscle and nerve damage and if, if the blood supply is cut off the entire leg may need to be amputated so time is of the essence wow
0: yeah, they, I mean, they don't call it a trauma center for nothing. And, and so when, when someone is brought to you with Tiger Woods-type injuries, that is very much a, a, a grade one emergency that, that
3: is treated as if it could be limb or life-threatening. That's correct. This would be a level one trauma alert. This is not something that we're sitting on overnight. Uh, people are coming in. People are coming down to the trauma bay and assessing and moving. People are calling the operating room um with an open fracture we don't know how much blood was lost at the scene we're calling the blood bank making sure we have blood products available so it's really all hands on deck and it's it's uh, it's really resource intensive but that's why trauma centers exist and this is what we practice for
0: we're speaking with Dang, Daniel B Chan uh the, the chief of orthopedic surgery and sports medicine for Memorial Healthcare System uh, one of the great healthcare systems in the greater Miami area down here. Doctor, I'm going to let you go, but I'd like to um, uh, leave us with a, a best guess, uh, what is a very educated guess on your part. Um, we're dealing with a 45-year-old man, um, an elite golfer, uh, someone in, in much better than average physical condition, but also someone who's just been through this leg trauma. Is it your best guess that that he might make a complete enough recovery To be
3: as good as he would have been in golf without these injuries we all like to be optimistic um, but given the severity of the injuries that he's sustained two or three severe injuries with the likelihood of arthritis uh, the muscle damage that he has to recover from i think it will be extremely difficult for him to uh, recover to his previous level Um, but again we never want to count out anybody uh, you know, we know that he's an elite athlete with a lot of resources to help him recover, but it's going to be extremely difficult—very, very difficult.
0: Dr. Chan, I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, it, it's been a pleasure talking to someone with with your expertise. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Dr. Daniel B. Chan of Memorial Healthcare System. I thought that was really good. And he said some things that really surprised me, including the idea that Tiger's injuries uh, may be as bad or even worse than those suffered by Alex Smith, the, the Washington NFL quarterback. Um, and, and just what an arduous recovery Tiger has in front of him. So it's going to be fascinating to, to see how Tiger comes out of this. And, and we it's- all wish him well.
2: It is crazy, and and I think the advancements in in car safety and how that type of accident that he just, like, he didn't die. like Oh, it's amazing. Not to go there and make this sad, but, like, my uncle, my mom's brother died in a car accident, like, what, 15, 20 years ago? Like, who knows if he would have died if that accident happened today with, like, the advancements in technology. And while it might ruin his golf career – That's pretty cool, and like knock on wood, you know we're talking about car accidents, so I just feel the obligation to say knock on wood, but it's just cool that we've advanced there. Where your golf career might be
0: over, but hey, you're still with us, and you get to see your kids. It's just 13 months after Kobe Bryant, we lose him. We came very close to to losing Tiger Woods last week. How about
2: airbags? I'm in favor of them. I feel like they don't get the love, like you know, right? You know, nurses, teachers. I feel like airbags, Tiger Woods should
0: go give a big hug to whoever is the inventor of airbags. Right. I I, I can't disagree with that. I think airbags, the problem with airbags is once they blow up and they're just sitting there ugly, you know, they're they're just very ugly to look at. But can you imagine the force that those airbags blow up? I mean, they they go from nothing to fully in your face in probably one tenth of a second, you know, because if, if they're any slower than that, they don't do any good it's just like yeah oh man yeah before you can say airbag it, it's in your face
2: and once again i just feel obligated to knock on wood i
0: don't know why right knock on tiger wood but um wow that's good i didn't even
2: like <laughs> that's not why i was saying that i was saying it because we're talking about accidents so we should just like knock right. on wood but wow t- knock on tiger wood thank
0: really you and, and and in all seriousness not to get sappy uh i'm so grateful that tiger Wood survived this thing and, I, and i'm Oh, so yeah. in For his, his kids,
2: I mean, like I know like we're not breaking any news here with our takes, but right family like that, that that should be that would just be terrible.
0: Hey, I just mentioned Kobe and uh it, it's basically the one year anniversary of his terrible, tragic death in a helicopter accident uh, 13 months ago. And there's some talk now by his wife, by his widow, Vanessa, uh, by Kyrie Irving, uh, some talk that the NBA should start using a silhouette of Kobe as its logo and i'm not sure how i feel about that to be honest with you um i'm, I'm a little bit conflicted uh you know he, he wasn't a perfect human being none of us are uh but he, he did have a you know obviously a sexual assault allegation that was ultimately dismissed so it's not on his record um but it still happened it it was still a smudge on uh, on who he was and uh also you know should I'm all in favor. What I am in favor of is uh, the logo being redesigned to uh, suggest uh, a, a black player, a black athlete, because I think that's um, what the league is about. And and for it to be the silhouette of a of a white guy who played in the '50s, I think maybe maybe merits a little bit of change.
2: I'm trying to find if J- Jerry West has said. I know he. I, I'm fine. I see quotes here of Jerry West saying that he he never even like. He kind of is embarrassed of the idea of being the logo, right. Like it's but I would like to see Kobe be the logo. I mean, yeah, a, are we going to start looking in the past of Jerry? West? I'm not saying I'm not saying what Kobe happened with Kobe isn't really serious, but you know, right. he was never convicted of a sure. crime, right? No, like, no, he no, absolutely was and, not. No, I mean, like we could probably look in Jerry West's, like you know, I'm sure right. he, I'm sure he's. I'm just going to go out on a limb like we've all. He's had moments that doesn't define him. And I, I would love to see Kobe be the logo. Yeah. I think that would be, it's, it's just an easy, that's a slam dunk for Adam Silver. If Jerry West is kind of cool with it, like, you know, other than Greg Cody kind of, you know, having this take, I haven't heard anybody that, you know, other, I guess people have brought up that, of course, Kobe's not a perfect person. You're not the first person I've heard mentioned. That, right. But, of course. And, and, and I, I would wh- like
0: to see it happen though. But, but, you know, just, just talking out loud, If they're going to change it, why not make it Michael Jordan? Why not make it his silhouette? You know, he, Kobe, nobody says Kobe's the greatest player ever. So if you're going to change it, why not Michael Jordan? I mean,
2: isn't there something to giving somebody an honor that happened to had passed on? Like, you know, if if Michael Jordan... Knock on wood again? Is this like, is this episode going to be called Knock on Wood? <laughs> you are knocking, Michael man. Michael Jordan knocking happens it. to if happened to have passed away, and not Kobe, I bet you we would be having that conversation about Jordan. Right. Like, you know, the the PFPI trophy is named after the late you know, Dad's Dynamics. That's like, <laughs> Pop, your father. Like we, yes. we we didn't do we didn't name it the Nana's Ruth Raccoons trophy when she was still alive. Like we named it the Dad's ah. Dynamics Cup because <laughs>
1: <laughs> I Uncle love Dicks, the PFPI reference.
2: Uncle Dick's probably the best picker ever and should
0: be what the, the trophy's called. But, you right. know, Pop <laughs> passed away. <laughs> I love that little detour. People are going, what the hell is he talking about? Roost raccoons? What's going on here? We're off the rails. All right. Well, if it happens with Kobe, uh, more power to him. And I certainly won't won't be against it. I'm just wondering aloud if you are going to change it to a black silhouette. Uh, why not Michael Jordan? But let's... um A silhouette. Let's move on now. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to make history in in the podcast here because normally uh, Mount Gregmore comes toward the very end after all our interview and everything. But this time, because we have a dynamic duo of interviews, we're going to put Mount Gregmore right now in between the two conversations. What do you think of that?
2: Greg Cody setting things up. Woo!
0: How How about that? And you know what? We're celebrating the pod's first birthday today. We came out of the womb kicking and bawling last March 2nd, so naturally, today's Mount Gregmore is the most notable events or birthdays associated with March 2nd. First, honorable mention. It was on March 2nd that the world was gifted with exactly what it always needed, but never knew it wanted, the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody podcast.
2: Wow, honorable mention. Yep, that's right. Look at us. Yep.
0: How about that? If I were in LinkedIn or whatever that's called, I would go update my resume right now. Now, number five. It was in a hospital in Hawaii in 1998 when a doctor delivered the Miami Dolphins from eternal misery. Happy birthday to Ategavaloa.
2: Wow, look at that.
0: Number four.
2: (laughs) That's all you get from me.
0: I like it. Number four. On March 2nd in 1962... Sports fans' jaws dropped in astonishment to hear of the record that will never be broken, as Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in a single NBA game. All right. Number three. On this date in 1962, that's right, the same day Wilt scored 100 points, New Jersey gifted the world an enduring star in rock and roll. Sure, he ain't Bruce Springsteen, but he ain't chopped liver either. John Bon Jovi. It's
2: my life. It's now or never. <sighs> Couldn't you sing that? You have to
0: say it like a poem. It's my li- good tune. It is a good tune. Yeah. Uh, and and uh what's that other what are some of his other big hits? Um Living on a prayer. Living on a prayer. <laughs> no. <laughs> number 2. On March 2nd and You 19-
2: give love a bad
0: name. Oh yeah, that was good. I think I sang
2: that at the wrong tune. Here, now I found it. Okay. You give love a bad name. No, I don't think I... I don't know if I nailed that. Whatever.
0: All right. Well, good good effort by you. Uh, Number two. On March 2nd in 1933, a hushed crowd at Radio City Music Hall waited in anticipation as the movie screen came to life with the world premiere of the epic film King Kong. Shot to the heart,
2: and you're to blame, darling. You give love a bad
3: name.
0: Wow, that's pretty good. A little falsetto there from Chris Cody. Not bad. Um, Where was I? Oh, King Kong, yeah. Baby. And now, the top of the March 2nd mountain. It was on this hallowed date in 1904 in Springfield, Massachusetts, home of the Basketball Hall of Fame that a baby named Theodore Geisel was born. He went on to become a renowned writer of children's books. Ever heard of How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Mom called him Teddy. The world calls him Dr. Seuss. Oh. How about that? Quite,
2: quite the day, March 2nd.
0: I'm telling you, it, it, that's another. I'm, I'm old enough where I read Dr. Seuss growing up. My favorite book uh, happened to be Green Eggs and Ham. How about that? That's...
2: That's a fun fact.
0: It is a fun fact. Someday, uh, if I get famous enough, that's going to be one of the answers on Jeopardy, and you're going to have to come up with the name Greg Coat. Okay. Um, (laughs) Now, we move from our historic award-winning Mount Gregmore.
2: What else can we set up for the folks?
0: (laughs) You know what? He's batting cleanup today, Tannenbaum is.
2: Isn't he batting third?
0: Um. Did
2: someone just drop a bowl of cereals? In your I house? seem
0: to. I, I seem to hear that too. I assumed it was in your purvey in your no, home. You. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm home alone. So. Home alone. Wow. Like. By the uh... way,
2: can I say before we get to Tannenbaum? Yeah. I went out on a boat over the weekend. I'm a big. I'm a boat guy. I just decided. <laughs> I, I want to like maybe we can do it. Maybe we can partner up. Hold on. <clears throat> I just had a Greg Cody moment. Um, wow. Maybe. Uh, I know. I have. I'm a little stuffed up. All right. I got a negative COVID test. All right get everyone get off my back. You can't have a cold these days without everybody like freaking out. All right. <laughs> but I was out on a boat and uh, I'm a boat guy. I want to join one of those clubs where I can just pay a monthly fee and just show up to the boat, go out on it and then never have to like worry about all the cleaning or the docking or all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I just love the, I love you get out to a boat, uh, out to a sandbar, you stop the boat and then you just chill for a couple hours. You, you couple, have a couple drink drinksies and see a lot of people like to get in the water Rookie move. The play is to just, most boats have like a, a spot where you're kind of like standing out on the, uh, you know. <laughs> you thought you muted.
0: I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
2: Because I interrupted your beautiful boat story. Continue. The best part is just standing out of the water on the boat, kind of just surveying the other boats. It, it's just, it's a powerful space to be. The music's playing. The drinks are flowing. That's. I love, I'm a boat guy.
0: Yeah, you know. I'm I'm amenable to that. We should talk about that, going in on a boat club. We're but- the perfect
2: people for this type of thing, because we are not the type of people that need to be docking boats and, uh, you know, lowering oh, boats gosh. on a boat ramp. We're the type of people that yeah. whose car would end up like in the water if we were trying to lower a, a boat from a boat ramp. Right.
0: <laughs> that would be a nightmare to me, backing up a boat, you know, and not knowing how far to go. And
2: I, I used to have friends. Uh, just in general. There's no statement there. I just used to have friends. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. I used to have friends that would go to near the sawgrass where there's boat ramps and literally just like watch people back their boats in because one out of every five person doesn't know what they're doing. And it's like
0: funny to watch people's cars go in the water. Apparently. (laughs) Let's get to Tannenbaum because um, the I know Christopher thinks I'm obsessed about this Tua, Deshaun Watson story in Miami. I'm just
2: glad we can have this interview now. And can we just like drop it until whatever happens happens like we're doing all this uh, talking about what might happen it's just like let whatever's gonna happen happen
0: yeah i can't make that promise because i'm obsessed about it and here's why
2: i feel like we should just get to this interview because you're gonna end up saying a bunch of things right now that you say in the interview so I let's know. just get to it here's
0: mike tannenbaum mike welcome uh, back to the podcast great to be with you greg we wanted to have you on because When we talk about the big decision facing the Dolphins, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, whether to invest big in him, whether to go all in for Deshaun Watson, the Jets and the Dolphins, the two teams, clubs you know best probably, are at the forefront of speculation about where he could wind up, uh, along with, um, uh, I guess the Panthers are sort of in the mix now from what's been reported. Uh, But but then there's also, you know, a, a new report by a very plugged in, respected Peter King that... Essentially said, hey, no way, Houston trades Watson and won't even listen to offers. So I wonder if you can this just is the make longest
2: sense. question in podcast history.
0: It is, and I apologize for that, but I'm I'm getting around to, to asking Mike if he
1: can sort of make
0: sense of this whole Deshaun Watson uh, drama right now.
1: Sure, you know, from why don't we start with Houston's point of view? And uh, unfortunately, I, I've been there. I had a very uh, significant and headline grabbing holdout with Darrell Revis. And I think really what Houston needs to do is sit down with Cal McNair, the owner, Nick Cassero, the GM, and their new head coach, David Culley, and say, hey, look, we're either going to stay with Deshaun Watson and ride this out for one calendar year, and it's going to get really noisy. It's going to get really bumpy. But for one year, we're not going to read anything. We're not going to be influenced by anything. He's our quarterback. Or if we're going to trade him, let's do it in the next 10 minutes. Because right now is when you have the most sort of – Leverage from a marketplace standpoint, by way of example, if the Rams were interested in Watson, clearly they're not because now they have Matt Stafford. So that's one less team. And as soon as these quarterbacks start coming off the board, your market's going to shrink. And the worst case scenario, if the three of us were having this conversation a year ago, we had Doug Marone on. Doug Marone would be saying, you know, Jalen Ramsey is a Jaguar. He's a foundational player. He's going to be here. And then he's a Jaguar until he has a bad back and he doesn't practice. And then he's a Ram. Point right. being is they can't change course. They can't get to September and say, you know what, let's trade them now because they're not going to get the best. They won't be able to maximize the value of trade to Sean. And then they're going to be in a situation where it's lose-lose. The other problem you have, there's a tremendous intangible going on right now, which is what free agent who has options is going to want to go to Houston unless they know who the quarterback is. So Houston really has a lot to figure out. And one other point that I think really bears mentioning is this. Deshaun Watson signed a contract six months ago, not six years ago, not 60 months ago, six months ago. DeAndre Hopkins had already been traded. So if I'm Cal McNair, like what in the world happened? Like go solve the problem because he's too good, too talented. You have to make it work with Watson. Say the Dolphins go all in.
0: uh, Are they going to have to give up both their first round picks and much more in next year's draft plus? Uh, a, a key player? I mean, what 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 does it take to get Deshaun
1: Watson, do you think? Yeah, so here's what's really interesting. If both the Jets and the Dolphins were interested, I think it's multiple first-round picks by both teams and good young players. One could be Quentin Williams of the Jets and, say, Christian Wilkins of the Dolphins. And if you're Houston, those picks are really intriguing to you because it allows you to go draft whoever you think Zach Wilson Trey Lance, Justin Fields. So if you lose to Sean Watson, you have to get another great young quarterback in return. So that's where it gets interesting. And I'll tell you this, I have no idea what's going to happen, but if you're the Jets or the Dolphins, one thing would be bad if he's trading, you don't get him. It's catastrophic if he's traded in the division and you don't get him because let's say you're the Jets and let's say Miami gets Watson. And I know it's a complete hypothetical, but now all of a sudden like, Tom Brady finally graduates and four times a year you're playing Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson. It's right. not an enviable position. <laughs> it's hard to think like how will that team win the division? So there's obviously a lot at stake here, but it all begins with, you know, what happens with Houston and Watson.
0: Mike, uh, there, there's a lot of um, uh, debate on what kind of a rookie season Tua had, uh, how impressive he was, how much potential he showed. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of a pro Tua guy, but but I'm – certainly not uh, uh, unanimous in that. Uh, I don't have a, a lot of company in that. There's a lot of people who think that he's sort of disappointed. I wonder what you thought of Tua's rookie season, uh, and, and nobody knows Chris Greer and Steven Ross better than you do in terms of people who are in the media right now, because you've worked with both of them. What do you imagine the Dolphins are thinking, and I'm asking you to speculate here, nobody Another knows Another long for sure. question. It is, but it's a complicated uh, subject. What do you imagine the Dolphins are thinking right now?
1: Well, I think context is really important here, Greg. You know, he had major surgery to his hip. Shortly, you know, as we know, it last spring, you know, going back a year now, no offseason program, no OTAs, no preseason games, new system, new city, a pandemic. And when you learn an offense, it's literally like being plopped down in the middle of a country and learning a new language. So I'm one that's – the arrow up for me is certainly up on Tua. Now, how high is it going to be? Is he going to be as good as Herbert and Burrow? Totally a grade of incomplete. But if you had conviction, which obviously they did in taking him, my advice and what I think they're going to do is they're going to stick to that conviction and say, you know what, like we believed that our process in the spring of 2020, it's now February of 21. And the attributes that we saw, there was enough good there to say, hey, you know what? We're going to build on those attributes. We're going to get him healthier, stronger. Uh, He has to learn a new system. And now he has much more time. And it sounds like a little thing, guys, but he's in the city. He knows where the facility is. Like he's settled in, he knows his teammates. So even though it's a new offensive coordinator, there's a little, there is some continuity. So I don't think it was perfect by any stretch. But to be candid, I think when we look through the lens of all these rookies, last year was a very unique situation. What is the
2: most absurd thing that's ever been that you've ever seen thrown into a trade to get a deal done?
1: So not to get like too technical, but when we traded for Brett Favre, they were concerned that we were going to trade him back to Minnesota. So we had to put some stipulations into that contract. Like we were trading. I'm like, look, we're trading for Brett Favre. We're going to cut Chad Pennington here like we need him to be our quarterback. So. That was a really big concern they had that they thought like they were just concerned that, you know, were we being used to get him out of Green Bay and up to Minnesota, which of course we weren't. So um, that was a like a very unique dynamic that we had to deal with. Mike, is it conceivable at all that if Houston does
0: trade Watson, that they may have their eye on on Justin Fields or one of the, the top rookie quarterbacks and not even want to? Is, is there even a plausibility that the Dolphins could wind up with Deshaun Watson and Tua next season, but have to give up three first-round picks, uh, Christian Wilkins, and maybe Xavier Howard, let's say. I know I'm just throwing everything out.
1: Yeah, I guess we should just call this podcast emptying the kitchen sink of ideas, yes. right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> no, I would say, look, Greg, anything's on the table, I would say that's certainly plausible, like if and when you used to wanted to trade him. They may want, and again, I think I go back to the Jets and the Dolphins just because those are picks two and three. And mm-hmm. they may be they may feel that, you know what, Zach Wilson's better than Tua and he's not as good as Watson, or we think Justin Fields is the best option, or maybe we think Tua would be picked right behind, you know, Trevor Lawrence. So those are certainly things that when Nick Casario has to present to Cal McNair and to David Cully, he has to lay out those options. Because I don't see it really on the veteran side. Like I don't see any like Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, Marcus Mariota. Like that group of guys isn't going to really drive that decision long term. I think if I'm used to it, I got to come out of this with one of those quarterbacks in the first round or Tua if they love Tua a a year ago.
2: I'm trying to figure out how many different times I can bring us away from the Tua-Deshaun Watson conversation. And then my dad (laughs) will just bring it back. Like, what is, like, you are
0: obsessed with this story. I, I, well, it's it, look, here's why, and and Mike, tell me if you agree. We've seen a big offseason of change with Stafford and Goff and Wentz, all changing uniforms, but the Deshaun Watson story is the biggest NFL offseason story, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it has a chance to actually be the biggest story in the next five years because it could really lead to significant transformational change in terms of, are we heading more towards the NBA model of player-driven movement? You know, and if the three of us were having this conversation in September and Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Deshaun are all on different teams, maybe Russell Wilson, we're looking at a new era. So, you know, let's see how this thing plays out. But this should be an absolute wild off season.
2: How often do you get tired of talking about a story though? Because it's just dominating the news. Like, do you have a story that just pops out? Like I was so tired of talking about that by the end.
1: <laughs> well, I will say this, like I've been at ESPN. Going to, I guess it's my second or third year. And we talk about Dak Prescott quite a oh, bit. Yeah, and Cowboys at some point so <laughs> there'll be a contract there, but boy, America loves the Cowboys. I mean, oh. they love to hear about them. Yeah. They either love them or they hate them. And boy, quarterbacks move discussion so
2: you know I worked at ESPN for a little bit that double tree do you stay there that double tree when you're in, in Bristol
1: so I, I will we can break some news here Greg I have invoked the Greg shadow rule at the double tree I have <laughs> zero not five percent zero discipline so it's actually in the file at the double tree in Bristol Connecticut that when I check in they are not allowed to offer me a warm, hot chocolate chip cookie. cookie. Because 100% of the time, I'm going to eat that hot, warm, soft, delicious chocolate chip cookie. So it's actually in my file. They're not allowed to even offer it. And I learned that from Shiano because what happens is invariably you get there at night, you're tired, you just want to go to bed, get ready for the next day. And it's like, it's so good. good. And I think it's like (laughs) 8,000 calories so and they have that little um, like
2: oven drawer at the front desk like, yeah where's that that's thing? exactly what right doing with these cookies just baking them right on site oh. yeah
1: and they're hot Delightful. and yeah and the, my problem is with my personality like if i have one i want 16 yeah so
0: that uh cookie would not make it up to my room it would be gone in the elevator probably before the elevator door shut it would be just totally gone um mike uh i i, I think we're gonna let you go uh, I didn't mean to keep you too long and uh, I hope we didn't I always appreciate your time your expertise is um, uh, second to none and I uh, appreciate your perspective particularly on, on things you Dolphins sure, related You sure you don't want to you know ask him about so Deshaun
2: well. again? You want to ask him like, about the two the I don't, think we, <laughs> no, I don't think, I think we cracked that one open enough I think we got a couple more follow-ups
0: Check him out on ESPN platforms and also uh, on the33rdteam.com the NFL think tank that does such uh, Great work on the league. Thanks again, Mike. Okay, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike Tannenbaum. He's an FOP in his second appearance on the Greg Cody Show podcast,
2: and he is not kidding about those cookies at that hotel in Bristol. <laughs> like, I know you're not you're not an ESPN guy, Greg. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, neither am I anymore. Neither am I anymore.
0: <laughs> uh, Do you dream I'm about those kid.
2: cookies? I, I mean, that's like there's a list of things why I'm sad we're not at ESPN anymore. Not being able to talk to t- Tim Kirkchin every week when we book him on the like when I would be in studio. Right. Hey Tim, Good to talk like just that that weekly conversation yeah. was delightful. And uh, even though I still can call Tim because I'm a name dropper and me and Tim are friends now, but the other thing I miss about ESPN is that cookie. Those are the two things. Okay, that's it. That's it. Tim yeah. Kirkchin and the cookie.
0: And by the way, Tim Kirkchin does still come on the Greg Cody Show podcast, so. So there, ESPN. How about that? Um, so thanks to Tannebaum, Thanks to Dr. Daniel B. Chan. Podcast family, thanks to you all, most of all. And listen, next week, next week's episode, be sure to tune in because it's the first one that's going to be simulcast on Sirius XM radio. So we're wow. going to be a, not only a podcast beginning next week, but we're also going to be on Sirius XM. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank, thank you all for joining us on the journey every week. Really appreciate you.
2: And to kick off our first show on Sirius, Barack Obama will be joining us. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Now I just have to find somebody else named Barack Obama.
0: (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Barry. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.